Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, certified religious transition and trauma recovery coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello and welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I am thrilled that you're here today because today's topic is something that so many of my clients grapple with. It's something that colored my entire life in the church. It is a trauma response and it has a lot of perks and benefits, but also a lot of drawbacks. It's one of the things that I find really hindered me in business as well as parenting. It is something that made it really difficult for me to get the things that I wanted. At some point in my life, it gave me a sense of self-esteem, but it also chipped away at my sense of self-worth. Today, we are talking about perfectionism. Men and women both grapple with this. It isn't just a female problem or just a male problem. It does present in different ways in men and women. But perfectionism is something that we see particularly in high-demand religion because there is often this idea that you can be perfect. There's an idea that you should be doing more than you currently are or that you need to work in order to gain God's love and approval, or the approval of the church. And there's this constant hustle. Also, because there's a lot of shame messages that happen in the church, we often cover it with perfectionism. Perfectionism is actually a protective mechanism. I think so often in our society, we actually confuse perfectionism with high achievement. So we're going to go through all of this, help you really understand what perfectionism is, why it can be a really difficult habit to break, what you're really trying to achieve for yourself if you are a perfectionist or if you know one, and then how to start using your perfectionism actually as a way to undo those mechanisms and get yourself a healthier, more self-worthy life. Okay, so first of all, what perfectionism is not? A lot of us throw around the word perfectionism like, oh my gosh, I'm such a perfectionist. I mean, when I was a wedding photographer, I wore my perfectionism as a badge of pride. Like, Oh, I mean, I'm going to be editing your photos so thoroughly. I'm such a perfectionist. You definitely want me to be your photographer because I'm going to be paying attention to every little detail. And it sounds good, right? If you're in an interview and somebody says, what's your biggest weakness? Sometimes we use it as this like humble brag. Oh, well, probably my biggest downfall is that I'm just such a perfectionist. So we kind of acknowledge that it's a difficulty, but also that it's going to be a super big benefit for the people that hire us, right? This is not perfectionism. This is 
uh, sort of a covert way of saying I'm a high achiever and I have attention to detail. That is not perfectionism. The other way we use perfectionism is sometimes as a description for an irritating personality quirk of people who are a little uptight and obsessive. Sometimes we'll say, oh my gosh, they're such a perfectionist, when really what we mean is they're just a little obsessive and they're uptight and they're difficult to be around. This is also not perfectionism. True perfectionism is hellish. Believe me, I know from lived experience, and several of my clients experience this as well. True perfectionism, according to Nick Wingall, who is a clinical psychologist that studies perfectionism, he says, picture the nastiest, cruelest person you know. Now imagine their full-time job is to follow you around and constantly criticize and judge everything you do. All the while, holding out the tantalizing promise that all your fears and insecurities will disappear if only you do things just right. Brene Brown calls perfectionism the 20-ton shield. It is a mask that is so heavy and difficult to wear, and you hold it up, believing that if you can do things just right, no one can criticize you or abandon you or kick you out of the group. No one will know that deep underneath you feel incredibly flawed. No one will know your deep, dark secret that you are human and imperfect, and you lug around this heavy, heavy shield, hoping that people will only see the perfection and not your vulnerability. Perfectionism is a way to protect ourselves from vulnerability and from our deep, sense of feeling that we're not worthy of love and belonging. If people only knew what was underneath that perfection, they would leave us. They would weep. I think I've alluded to this in past episodes. It was easy to be perfect when I was dating someone. I was almost a chameleon. I could not only put on a perfect mask, but I could also read you. I could read what you wanted. I could read what made you happy. I could read what frustrated you. And I could adjust my behaviors in order to meet your every need. When we were dating, I could be the ideal woman. And once I got married to my husband, who I deeply loved, I was terrified as he saw me day in and day out as we had our small arguments, as he saw that I could leave a horrific mess in the kitchen after cooking, that I didn't really like dusting or vacuuming, that I often could usurp a conversation because I have so much to say, I started to realize that I couldn't keep my mask on 24-7. I couldn't be perfect all of the time in front of my husband, and I was terrified that if he finally got a glimpse at what was underneath that mask, if he finally got to see my humanity, there was a part of me that truly believed he would leave, that he would run away screaming once he saw how human I was. I'm not entirely sure why I developed my perfectionism. I often look over my life and my childhood and try to decide Was there an inciting incident? Was there a reason that this is the way that I chose to deal with vulnerability and insecurity? And honestly, I don't know. I don't know if there was an inciting incident, if I 
came genetically pre-programmed this way. I don't know if it was a general environment I was subjected to, but I do know that for whatever reason, my trauma response, because perfectionism is a trauma response, when we feel like our worthiness is under attack, perfectionism is one of the ways that we deal with that deep sense of shame. For whatever reason, I became perfect, as perfect as I possibly could be. And perfectionism is actually shown to be linked to a lot of negative outcomes. Depression, which you guys, if you've listened to other episodes, you know I was diagnosed with clinical depression 11 years ago. Anxiety. I used to have panic attacks once a week. I was trying so hard to be all things for all people and to do them perfectly that I would often break down and have panic attacks. It got so familiar that when I would pull off to the side of the road, whether I was having a panic attack or not, my children, who were small at the time, would get very, very quiet because they were used to me needing to deep breathe and to calm myself on the side of the road. They did this if I was pulling into a parking lot. Anytime I stopped the car, they would get quiet and look to see, was I having a panic attack? Did I need them to be quiet so I could calm myself down? My trauma response was creating a trauma response in them. It's also positively correlated with eating disorders, fibromyalgia, and suicide. When we're perfectionists, what we do is we stuff our emotions. Our emotions are too scary. They're too vulnerable. They're too uncomfortable. So we stuff them. And I don't know if you've ever read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, but the science is showing that When we stuff our emotions, they don't go anywhere. They don't just dissolve or disappear. They stay in our bodies and they create actual physical health problems for us. Obviously, suicide, when you deeply feel like you are not enough, that there's something fundamentally wrong with you and you're trying to cover it up with perfectionism, suicidal ideation is definitely something you may struggle with. I have a couple of times in my past. A few other things that make perfectionism so hellish. Let's just go through these. Extreme procrastination. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about yourself, but sometimes I would wait and I would put off a huge project, something that really meant a lot to me, until the very last minute. As a wedding photographer, I would often procrastinate the pictures that I needed to edit until the very, very last moment that I could possibly wait, simply because I didn't want to have to look at the flaws in my work. I didn't want to have to come face to face with my own failure. I didn't want to have to come face to face with my own limitations. And so I would put it off because if we never start, it's a great way to avoid failure. And I think there's also a belief that if we put it off to the last minute and we throw it together, if it ends up not being okay, then we can blame it on, oh, well, I didn't really have a lot of time to do that, so it really wasn't my best effort. We have all of these protective mechanisms in place. If we never start, then we can never fail. But also, if we start really late, we can excuse or blame our failure on the fact that we couldn't really give our best effort. Because if we give our best effort, if we put our all into something and it fails for a perfectionist, that feels devastating. When you already believe that you're not worthy and then you put your best forward and realize it's still a failure, 
it feels like it's confirming inside what you already believe about yourself, that you are deficient. Another thing that really plagues perfectionists is opportunity cost, because I don't know about you, but when I was really in the thick of perfectionism, particularly with editing photos, I would go over the same photo over and over and over and over again. Could I get rid of these flyaway hairs? Is there a way I could smooth this that would look more natural? What about those power lines way off in the distance? What about those little pieces of grass that don't look right, the little bald spots on the wedding green? And I would go over these pictures over and over again, and then sometimes I'd look at it and be like, oh no, it's over-processed, and I'd start from scratch. I would spend hours striving for perfection, and all of those hours could have been spent on other things I wanted to do. More fulfilling activities and experiences, more time with my kids, more time dancing, cooking, going out in nature, more time doing art, more time taking pictures just for the joy of it. But because my self-worth was tied to perfectionism, was tied to everything I put out in the world being flawless, I killed myself late into the night trying to make these pictures perfect. And again, don't forget, I had procrastinated. So I was shoving weeks of work into a few days and I was killing myself to make them perfect. Chronic stress, what I just described, putting things off, procrastinating, and then really holding yourself to an impossible standard, not a high standard, an impossible standard, can create chronic stress. You're always driven to do more. My pictures were never perfect enough. I never stood back and thought, oh, that is perfect. There was always something else that I wish I could have done to make the picture better. The same was true for my church service. There was always more I could have done. Same with my parenting, with being a wife, with being who I am, with being a friend, working out, eating. There was always something I could have done better. And when we believe that, we take on more projects, more stressors, and more challenges than we can reasonably handle. I would overbook myself and I would berate myself when I couldn't do it all. I only had 24 hours in the day just like everyone else, but I took on everything, believing that I had to in order to be acceptable. I tried so hard and it was never enough. This leads to chronic stress, burnout, even panic attacks. When I was in high school, I was involved in everything. Perfectionism isn't something I started whenever I was a young adult. It was there when I was a child. It was there as a teenager. I remember getting up early for early morning seminary. I was the seminary president. I did all of the things I needed to do there. I worked really hard to know all of the scripture mastery, to be really well-versed in the lesson, to make everybody feel welcome. And then I'd head to choir and band and soccer practice and debate, student government, National Honor Society, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I participated in plays. I was involved in every facet of high school that I possibly could. If it could be done and I could fit it in my schedule, I would do it. And I often remember go, 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 going. From early morning until late at night, getting my homework done, striving for straight A's. And then I remember I would crash and burn. 
And I would say probably once every couple of months, I would take a sick day and I would stay at home and I would sleep the entire day I was supposed to be at school. The whole rest of that night until it was time to wake up in the morning, I'd sleep for over 24 hours. And then I'd wake up and I'd go, 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 go again. I was already developing patterns of chronic stress as a high schooler where I was putting more and more and more on my plate and I would crash and burn and literally could not do another thing. I felt depleted and I would sleep for over 24 hours and then I'd get up and go again. That is not normal or healthy. Burnout is not normal or healthy. The next issue that is really hard for perfectionists is persistent dissatisfaction. There's a voice in your head forever telling you how much you have to do and how badly you should feel if you don't accomplish it. And it doesn't matter how unrealistic everything you have to do is. (laughs) My husband used to give me such a hard time. I love to make lists. I still make lists, but I am very realistic with myself. And I'm very compassionate with myself when I'm not able to get everything done because life happens. Sometimes unexpected things happen and they throw off your schedule. Sometimes you underestimate how long something's going to take. What happens with perfectionists is once they commit, they never allow themselves to uncommit. And it doesn't matter how big the workload gets, you try to do it all. It doesn't matter how impossible it is. So Kevin used to give me such a hard time because I would make these lists and these lists would be pages long for one day and I would break it down into five or 10 minute increments of where I was going to fit all of these things. And then at the end of the day, let's say I had a hundred things to do. If I got 80 of them done, but 20 were left undone, I would berate myself because it was not perfect. It was not finished. I didn't do what I said I was going to do. And it doesn't matter that it was unrealistic. I would beat myself up because I said I was going to get it done and I didn't get it done. And even when I realized, oh my gosh, I don't know that I have the time for this, I wouldn't take the commitment off my plate. I would try to superhuman myself. I would try to make myself more than I was and get this done. It's hard to enjoy the present moment. When you are so overwhelmed with everything you have to do in the future or when you're still busy beating yourself up for everything you didn't do in the past. It's so hard to stay present and enjoy the present moment, even when it was scheduled. And I was with my kids. I was constantly thinking about everything I had to do and almost preemptively beating myself up for everything I knew I wouldn't get done because it was simply too much. So there's a persistent dissatisfaction because we can't stay in the present. We're so focused on all the things we have to do that are coming up, and we're still focused on all of our failures and everything that happened in the past. Now, it's interesting because I remember I've had therapists that were like, you know, perfectionism isn't achievable. You're human, which means you can't be perfect. Here's the reason perfectionism is so difficult to kick. It's not about being perfect. Logically, every perfectionist knows that they can't be perfect. They know that they're human. They know that they have strengths and weaknesses. They know they can't be on all the time. And yet it has become a coping mechanism that helps them deal with that deep sense of inadequacy at their core. So it's not really about 
being perfect or doing things perfectly. It's about feeling perfect. It's about feeling in control and feeling worthy. All right, so we're going to go back to Nick Wingall's research. He has so many good points here, you guys. Um, I wish I had understood this even a few years prior, which is part of the reason I'm so heavily leaning on his research today. Because a lot of people, including my therapist 11 years ago, thought my perfectionism was simply a behavior. But we now understand that not only is perfectionism a learned behavior, but it's a learned behavior that we use to numb and cope with a sense of inadequacy that usually stems from trauma in our childhood. Nick says, Most perfectionism begins as a childhood response to some form of trauma, and it can be actual or perceived. This is a big deal. When we're getting out of high-demand religion, a lot of times we'll talk about trauma, and we may have people who are still active that might say, you know, that wasn't traumatic, or that didn't happen to you, or you just misperceived that. But here's the deal. It really doesn't matter what actually happened or didn't happen. It's how you perceived it. As a child, if you perceived something as trauma, you will create a trauma response in order to cope with it. It can be something small like getting up and giving a speech and stuttering or farting in class or something crazy like that. It can be a small thing that happened that other people might not consider traumatic that was deeply humiliating to you or made you feel like you were somehow deficient as a person or that you were vulnerable to ridicule and humiliation and shame. And so we create perfectionism as a way to avoid the emotional consequences. If I look and act and do everything perfect, then I'm above ridicule. I can never be humiliated again. And I think what makes perfectionism so hard to kick sometimes is when it doesn't work, because inevitably, right, we're going to get ridiculed or judged or something. But instead of being like, huh, this perfectionism thing isn't working for me, we actually think we're the problem. We internalize that and we say, okay, but maybe if I just do it more perfect next time, then this will never happen again. We look at the failure as I'm just not being perfect enough rather than perfectionism isn't working for me. And so we hang on to that 20-ton shield that Brene Brown talks about, and we just try to do it more and more and more perfect, and it becomes the sort of addictive cycle of avoiding harsh emotional experiences by trying to be as perfect as possible. Nick Wingall says... The habit of striving for perfection was initially triggered by a disturbing situation and the need to ease a painful emotion. It's a wall that we put up. It's a protective armor that we put around our soft, squishy center to keep ourselves from being vulnerable to that painful emotion. He says the habit of perfection becomes strengthened because on some level it works. Sometimes it actually prevents harm as in the case of a child who plans for every outcome regarding an abusive parent. So when you're looking for control and you're looking for ways to avoid harmful emotions, that perfectionism, that hyper-awareness, that hyper-vigilance to always have every outcome planned out and to have a plan to execute it perfectly could help you identify when an abusive parent is winding up and keep yourself safe or your siblings safe. 
it also comes with other perks. When I was a teenager, as a perfectionist, I was turning in beautifully crafted assignments. I was going above and beyond for my teachers. And how do you think my teachers reacted? With praise. That felt good. That fed my sense of self-esteem. And for a moment, I felt better about myself. Here's the thing that I think is insane is I've learned that there's a difference between self-esteem and self-worth. Self-esteem is driven by our accomplishments. And as a perfectionist, if you are a high-performance perfectionist where you kill yourself almost to put out beautiful work and to make sure it's the very best of the best of the best, you're going to get validated. You're going to win awards. You're going to be entered into competitions where you take home gold medals and blue ribbons. And it feels good and it feeds your confidence that you're capable of doing really amazing work. So I had incredibly high self-esteem, but all the while I also felt that when I went too long without achieving anything, those feelings of inadequacy would bubble up to the surface. Who was I if I wasn't achieving things? Who was I if I wasn't earning those gold medals and blue ribbons? And earning those gold medals and blue ribbons really made me feel so good that that became addictive as well. So not only was I perfecting and performing as a way to numb my emotions, it also was giving me this emotional high that I was chasing And for a time, it allowed me to escape from sadness or loneliness or disappointment. For me, the emotion I was trying to escape was shame. Now, take this mechanism we develop in childhood and rinse and repeat for a few decades, and you've got a strongly ingrained habit of striving for perfection to feel good, or at least less badly. This is why whenever we're children and even teenagers, it might be slightly problematic for us, but it's not dire yet. It's when we get into our 20s, 30s, and our 40s when this has become our coping mechanism, when this has become the way that we choose to deal with and numb difficult emotions that it becomes really problematic We're less flexible at this point. We have really developed those neural pathways, and it's really difficult for us to do something else. We may notice in our 30s, oh my gosh, I hate that I'm such a perfectionist. I wish I could cut myself some slack. This is really giving me emotional grief, and I feel isolated from people. But what happens is we've created such strong neural pathways that when we have a painful emotion, immediately those pathways activate and they start looking for a way to provide us for some relief. So it pushes us towards perfectionism in the present. What happens is a difficult emotion will come up and we'll be like, oh, warning, warning, this is going to be painful. And our neural pathways say, oh, we know the solution to this problem. When we have painful emotions, we perfect, we overachieve, and that is the way that we're going to numb and cut off this painful emotion. And each time we follow through, we strengthen that connection, which makes the push to perfect stronger and stronger over time. This is also why maybe we were a little less rigid as teens. We had that perfectionistic tendency, but it wasn't ruling our life. But it can become an obsession as we get older. I was neurotic 
about perfectionism in my early 30s. I felt so exposed and it was so difficult for me to break the patterns of needing to perfect. I even told you at the beginning of this podcast, anytime I feel uncertain, I reach for my perfectionism shield. I could feel myself being like, okay, I'll script it out. I'll read it word for word. I will make sure that I never say, um, I, I mean, I was spinning into this place of how do I protect myself? And then I realized it's okay to be human. I caught myself doing the perfectionism thing and was able to comfort myself and be like, you're safe here. It's safe to stumble over your words. It's safe to not have perfect language. It's safe to sometimes mispronounce things. You are safe here. But that only came because I was able to begin reparenting my inner child, to begin to have compassion for myself, and to begin to trust myself that I would be able to survive whatever criticism came my way. But when we're in that place where we don't trust ourselves and it's difficult for us to have compassion for ourselves and we are not anchored in our self-worth, it can be so easy to reach for that 20-ton shield and try to protect ourselves. The more I have deconstructed these neural pathways, the more I've developed and practiced new ways of handling things, the less strength these neural pathways have had in my life And the less quickly I go from difficult emotion to how can I put on my perfectionism armor, it's become less of a compulsion. A lot of perfectionists, you'll hear them call themselves recovering perfectionists because perfectionism is addictive. It is a strong pattern that we develop early in life. And like I said, the older we get and the more we strengthen that neural pathway, the more compulsive and obsessive it becomes. It's such a practice of holding ourselves and recognizing, oh, I'm in my pattern again, catching ourselves when we're in the perfectionism pattern, comforting ourselves, and then allowing ourselves to choose a different way to cope. Perfectionists don't engage in perfectionistic behaviors because they're under the delusion that they'll actually achieve perfection. They do it because it temporarily provides relief for a painful feeling. But like most addictive behaviors, there is always the aftermath. We may perfect as a way to temporarily relieve our difficult emotions, but there's isolation, there's additional shame, there's fear. All of those things are byproducts of using this addictive behavior in order to cover our difficult emotions. So now that we understand that emotional relief is really the reason behind why we try to be perfect, it helps us in our process of trying to unlearn perfectionism. Because it's only when we really understand what we need, what we're trying to achieve, what's the need we're trying to fulfill, can then start to deconstruct and get healthier ways of meeting that need. So the first thing, when you notice yourself in perfection, when you notice yourself going into perfectionistic tendencies, I am always going to start with this. Do not get into judgment with yourself. Get curious. Get curious about what is triggering me. How do I feel unsafe? Why do I feel like I need this 20-ton shield to protect myself right now? And just listen to what your inner knowing has to say to you. Because your inner knowing is going to let you know, this is what's going on. I'm unsure here, so I'm reaching for perfectionism. 
validate your experience, validate the fact that you feel unsafe right now. You feel afraid. You feel ashamed. And that that is valid because you do. You deserve comfort in those emotions. Your emotions are valid. Then once you know what you're feeling, once you know I'm feeling afraid of this, this, and this, instead of automatically reaching for that 20-ton shield of perfectionism, asking yourself, how else could I get my needs met? Are there healthier ways for me to feel safe? Are there healthier ways for me to process shame? Are there healthier things I could do to help me move through this feeling of vulnerability and uncertainty? When we notice perfectionism, perfectionism is the alarm bell. When we notice ourselves trying to be perfectionistic, we can say, okay, I know I'm trying to protect myself from feeling difficult emotions. I feel exposed right now. What am I feeling? validating that, just getting curious and non-judgmental and validating your experience and then moving from that to this is the emotion I'm feeling and this is my need. This is how I'm trying to protect myself. How can I do that? Because remember, your needs are valid. How can I meet my needs in a way that's healthier for me? And then you practice and you experiment. So you put into practice whatever comes up and you try it on for size. Did it work? Did it work a little bit, but not all the way? Did it just completely not work? This is where we explore. This is where we get curious with ourselves. This is where we get to play. I like to think of this process as play. I'm trying something on. I'm not attached to it. Does this work for me? Yes or no? Does it work a little bit? Keep the things that work. Allow yourself to discard the things that don't work and continue to get curious and continue to try new things until you find a method that works for you. I could tell you exactly what I did to start healing from perfectionism, but my method will not work for you because I'm a different person. And it took a lot of trying things on in order to find something that works. For me, I do inner child meditations. When I start feeling perfectionistic, I will find a quiet place. I will dip down into my body and locate my inner child and I'll have a conversation with her. I visualize holding her on my lap and saying, hey, I can tell you're upset. Tell me about it. I'm here to listen. And I will listen to my inner child. I'll listen to her concerns. If she needs to cry, I hold her. I validate her just like I would my other two children. I want to know what she thinks. She is worthy of that. I want to validate her experience. And then once she's gotten to say everything she needs to say, I validate that. You're right. That does feel scary. You're absolutely right. And I'm here to protect you. Adult Terry, I have all the skills as adult Terry to watch after you and protect you and keep you safe. And regardless of what happens, even if we mess up, even if we fail, You're still worthy of love and belonging. I will always love you and you will always belong here. These kinds of messages, these are things I do with myself. Some of you may be like, that is way too woo-woo for me. I don't like that. Find something that feels right for you. Try something on that feels like what you need to feel better. And see, does it work for you? Does it not work for you? The last thing I want to say is 
it's so important to realize as perfectionists, we're often fixers. We're people that want to solve problems. We're good at achieving things. We're good at fixing. And you don't always have to do anything with your emotions. You're allowed to just be mindful. You're allowed to just watch them and observe your emotions, recognize that they're there, and that's it. Just because you have an emotion doesn't mean you have to do anything with it. And you don't have to decide to act on an emotion immediately. But I find giving myself some space, if I notice the emotion, just getting mindful with it and getting curious with it, I almost detach from it and I remind myself that I'm a third-party observer to the emotion. I am not the emotion. I am the person who observes the emotion. I am the person who gets to feel the emotion, but I am not the emotion. And when I can remind myself of that, and it does take practice, when I can detach and just watch it and listen to it and get curious about it and look at it from all different facets, when I take the space to do that, so often I don't need to do anything else. Just being aware of it, acknowledging it, And getting curious with it is all the emotion wanted. It just wanted to be seen and heard. Other times, however, I recognize, okay, this has been a pattern. This is what the emotion is telling me. There's a pattern here that continues to bring up this emotion. And it's time for me to put something into action in order to create a safer space for me. It's just getting curious with yourself. Now, the last thing I want to address is so often when I tell people that I'm recovering from perfectionism, they'll say, well, there's nothing wrong with being a perfectionist. Perfectionists are high achievers and we need perfectionists in our society. If I had a dollar for every time somebody has tried to defend perfectionism, I would be significantly richer because I've been talking about this for 11 years and I've been talking about this in the business world. I had a team of salespeople that I worked with for the past four years and we often talked about perfectionism and the underlying issues with perfectionism. Here is what I know from my own life and from my clients' lives, from my sales team's lives. Perfectionists actually achieve less and they stress out more. We spend so much time worrying about doing it right that we often don't get going. We wait until we have it perfectly figured out before we jump in. And so we often either never jump in, we do all the stressing and all the strategizing and we never jump in because we're so worried it won't be perfect because we can't tolerate criticism and we can't tolerate the fact that there might be flaws in our work. We can't learn from the process because the flaws actually mean something about us, we think. Perfectionists often either fail to get started or they accomplish less because they're so afraid of failure. They're so afraid of putting themselves out there and being criticized. They're so afraid that their flaws in their work, that their imperfections mean something about their worthiness. And this is why perfectionism is not a good thing for our society. What we're actually looking for is something called high achievement, and there's a difference. So there's nine things I want to talk about here. All or nothing thinking. Perfectionists, it has to be completely perfect for them to be happy with the result. 
it's either completely perfect or it's a failure. If it is 95% perfect, that 5% will make a perfectionist feel like they're a failure. Whereas a high achiever will say, 95%, that's pretty good. I did a really great job. I aimed for this and I came really close. Look how close I came. This is what I've learned from that 5%. This is how we're going to implement that in the future. And I think we can do even better. Do you hear the difference? Both of them hit 95%. Both of them strived for a very high goal and they both got to 95%. That's amazing. I mean, you've heard the the saying, shoot for the moon, and at worst, you'll land among the stars. But what happens is when a high achiever lands among the stars, which that saying gets to me, it's, it's bothering me right now because I'm like, stars are further away than the moon. But you know what I'm saying. When a high achiever lands among the stars, they think, holy cow, we got out of Earth's atmosphere and look at us. We're in outer space. This is amazing. Look at all we learned from this experience. Look how far we've come. And we learned from this whatever percentage that didn't work about what didn't work. And now we have ideas about how to make it even better. High five to us. Look at what we've accomplished. That was super fun. I enjoyed the adventure. Perfectionists say, I was 5% away from the moon. I cannot believe what a failure I am. And it makes it less likely that they're going to try again in the future because they were a failure the first time in their own eyes. A high achiever has growth mindset. They don't mind their failures because their failures in their work, in their aspirations, don't mean that they're a failure as a human. They don't need a perfect project to prove to them that they're a perfect human. They're willing to be mostly good. They're willing to be mostly right. They're willing to be mostly successful. That allows them to move through whatever failure happens quicker and with less shame. And it allows them to grow faster and achieve more. Okay, the next thing that perfectionists do is they're highly critical of themselves and others. They only see the mistakes. When you only see the mistakes, how motivated are you going to be to go and put something else out into the world? Not very. How motivated are other people going to be to work with you or for you? Not very. It doesn't feel good to be criticized all the time. And whether you're the one criticizing yourself or you're criticizing your team, you're chipping away at that ability to trust yourself. You're chipping away at your self-worth. It makes it harder and harder and harder for you to achieve more things. It makes it harder for you to reach your goals. The third thing is perfectionists are pushed by fear. So high achievers are pulled by their desire to achieve goals. It feels delicious to them is a phrase that I will say. I always check in with myself. Does this feel delicious to me? Does this feel enticing? Does it feel like an adventure? Does it feel fun? Am I excited by this? And I let that excitement and that craving pull me forward towards the things that I want to do. On the other hand, perfectionists are pushed by the fear of not reaching their goals. They're pushed by the fear of being less. So it's behind them. Fear is pushing them that they might not be enough, that they might not achieve their goals. And that fear is debilitating. A high achiever is driven. They're pulled along. They float with and are 
embraced by excitement and passion, can you see how that would generate more of a desire to create than being pushed along by fear? Fear is one of the biggest factors in us being courageous enough to take risks. Fear is always going to be there when we get out of our comfort zone. But when that fear is the fear that you feel when you're about to go skydiving or bungee jumping, completely different fear than the fear of failure and the fear of I'm not enough. Does that make sense? So when we're pulled along by this sense of adventure and passion, it's that adrenaline rush that is excitement, but it also feels a little bit like fear of I'm about to skydive. I'm about to you know, do something that's wild and exciting and unexpected. And I have never done this before. And it's uncertain versus the fear that is, if I don't accomplish this, I'm not enough. And my worthiness will be called into question. It's much more debilitating and makes it harder for us to show up and to get vulnerable and to take the risks that we need to take in order to get the success we want. Okay, number four, perfectionists have unrealistic standards. They set goals that are out of reach. High achievers will set high goals, but they usually have increments. Like these are the goals we're reaching for and this is the minimum standard and we're going to move up from there. They're very realistic. They know if they can reach it. They know if it's something that they can do. Perfectionists tend to go way beyond the mark and set a goal for themselves that they're almost certain not to reach. And remember, if they miss the goal, even by 5%, even by 1%, even by a half of a percent, it's a failure for perfectionists. They weren't good enough. And they feed this self-fulfilling prophecy, this story that they tell themselves that they're not good enough, that deep down underneath they're deficient. Okay, number five, perfectionists are focused on results. They see the goal and nothing else. There's no joy in the process. They don't enjoy the process of growing and striving. So I have a quote on my table in there. I can't remember who says it. I have this like little package of quotes and I change them out every day. I'll like shuffle through intuitively and let one pop out and then I stick it there where I can see it for the next couple of days. And it says, failure is the road by which we gain success. Now, if you're a perfectionist, that's intolerable. If you have to fail over and over and over again to get to success, if failure is a confirmation that you're deficient, how likely are you going to want to be to fail over and over and over again, to hear no, to have your manuscript rejected, to go out on the date and be told thanks but no thanks? Not very, right? When failure means something about our self-worth, we can't move forward. So when we're only focused on the results, we don't enjoy the process and the process actually feels threatening to us because the process of growth, the process of success is failure. And when I say failure, I mean making mistakes and learning from them. It's getting it wrong. It's trying on something that doesn't fit. That is the process to growth. That is the process to getting the things we want. We're going to try on a lot of things we don't want or that we think we want that just don't fit the way we thought they would before we get to the place where we're like, yes, this is the right fit. This is what I want. This is now something I understand and I can do effortlessly. Okay, number six, 
they get depressed by unmet goals. So perfectionists beat themselves up much more and they wallow in negative feelings when their high expectations are unmet. I feel like we have beat this dead horse because at the root of perfectionism is this sense that I'm not worthy. And when we don't meet our goals, it just reinforces that for us, especially when we have this all or nothing thinking. We've also talked about the fear of failure. We just talked about that. Perfectionists have a fear of failure because failure means something about them personally. And it's intolerable to feel like you are a failure. That shame message of not, I made a mistake or I just experienced failure, but I am a failure. Completely different experience. We talked about procrastination. You can't fail. If you never get started, right? And so we put off getting started as long as possible because it delays failure as well. And then last, and this is one I want to talk about for a bit, is defensiveness. We get defensive when we are not anchored in self-worth. When we don't feel worthy, anything that threatens our worthiness, any criticism, any feedback that doesn't paint us as perfect, any feedback that is in any small way negative is going to make us put up our defenses because it feels like our self-worth is under attack. When we're anchored in self-worth, when we realize that we are good human beings that make mistakes and that our mistakes don't disqualify us from love and belonging, that we are lovable and valuable and good in our human messiness, when we know that about ourselves and we have anchored into that, then we can tolerate people giving us feedback. We can tolerate it when someone says, hey, you're not showing up for yourself the way you said you would, or hey, those things you said to me hurt my feelings. I'm not sure if you're aware, or hey, you were raised in a white supremacist system, and I think you may have benefited from it, or hey, you taught me some things at church. I'm not sure if you were aware that this is how they affected me. Or even like, hey, your design here could be a little bit better. If you change this from a square to a circle, it would work a lot better. We can't tolerate any oversight. We can't tolerate having people know more than us. We can't tolerate having people be harmed by us. We can't tolerate any of that because it means... There's something not perfect about us, and it means that we're not worthy of love and belonging when we're coming from a perfectionistic state. If there's one thing I can do, and this is my vision, everything we talk about on this podcast revolves around this vision, which is the more I can help people recognize their self-worth and anchor into it, the better this world gets. Because people who are anchored in their self-worth can tolerate criticism, they can tolerate failure, they're more innovative, they're more creative, they're more likely to tolerate and listen to other people, there's less narcissism and less competition, there's less vying for power over others, more opportunities for sharing power with. For me, at least the way I see the world, Self-worth is the key. Self-worth is the key to the world 
I think so many of us dream of, where we all feel safe, where we all get to be authentic, where there is space for us to learn and grow and explore. But it doesn't happen when we're still steeped in shame. It doesn't happen when we still at our core believe that we're unworthy. And perfectionism is just one of the ways that that unworthiness manifests. It's one of the coping mechanisms that we have to deal with that deep sense of insecurity, that deep sense that we're not worthy of love and belonging. I hope this was helpful for you. This has been a long journey for me. I knew I was a perfectionist as a teenager. I knew I was a perfectionist as an elementary school kid. I was raised by a perfectionist. And perfectionism is something I've passed down to some of my children. Again, I'm not sure if it's genetic or if it's a learned behavior, but I am a perfectionist that comes from a long line of perfectionists that is raising recovering perfectionists. And I know that healing is possible because I have healed so much. I'm not sure if I'll ever be completely healed. This will always be a coping mechanism that my brain, I think, will reach for when I feel uncomfortable or insecure. And I know that as we learn to root into our self-worth, the perfectionism just becomes something that we acknowledge. Like, oh, I see myself reaching for perfectionism. Okay, babe, like what's going on for you? Are you okay in there? What are you feeling? Oh, you're scared. Okay, here's our plan to keep us safe. So you don't have to reach for that 20-ton shield. You don't have to please perform and perfect. You're worthy, remember? You're worthy whether you do anything or not. You're worthy even if this whole thing gets botched. You're worthy if no one ever listens to this podcast. You are worthy if you stumble over your tongue or say something that 10 years from now you're really embarrassed of. You just do your best. Remember, you're always able to learn from your mistakes and you always belong here. You'll always be loved and belong here, no matter what. And we're going to get through this together or however you deal with your perfectionism. Now, when I see perfectionism, all I see is a scared inner child that just needs a little love and attention. My perfectionism isn't something I feel ashamed of anymore. It just is a little like warning bell to me that, oh, I'm feeling insecure right now. That's all. I'm doing something new and scary. I'm outside of my comfort zone. And I check in with myself like, hey, babe, what's going on? I'll even say, like, tell mama what's going on. How are you feeling? Let me hear you. And I comfort myself and I come up with a strategy that I'm going to try on and I try it on and I assess whether it worked or not. And then I move forward from there and you can too. And it is not only possible to overcome, but it has become one of the biggest gifts in my life. Learning this process has allowed me to parent my children so much better. Learning to reparent my inner child, I'm such a better parent with my kids. Am I perfect? No. Am I still probably traumatizing them? Absolutely. But I've learned that children don't need perfect parents. They need self-aware, empathic, and accountable parents. And I can be that for them. I can be that for myself. And As 
we all become more shame resilient, we create a better world, a much better world. One where we all are safe to be authentic. And that is my deepest desire for all of us. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before we go, I do want to make a couple of announcements because there are some exciting things coming up. First of all, question and answers on Thursdays are going to be discontinued for a couple of reasons. I have been asked to do a clubhouse once a week with a money coach and a sex coach. It's going to be called the Taboo Triad. We are going to be going live weekly and there's going to be research I'll be doing for that as well as just some fabulous conversation. It's going to be so informative and I'm so excited to be a part of that. And realistically, I don't have time for a question and answer midweek as well as the clubhouse. So I am going to make the choice to do the thing that feels the most exciting and the most adventurous. So there will no longer be a regular question and answer on Thursday mornings because I will be over on the Clubhouse app having an open forum once a week with Stephanie J and Melissa Elysian, and we will be doing a taboo triad of topics. We'll be having an open forum talking about religion, money, and sex. Also on that topic, I have been asked to be a support coach for Stephanie J, who is one of the leading sex coaches in the world right now, and she is starting a sexual healing container. It is a sexual empowerment academy. It is a six-week course. She is going to be helping us unlock the shame and the fear that we have around our sexuality. If you've come from high demand religion, the chances are you have deep indoctrination messages about sexuality, about modesty, about your body, about purity culture. And if you, for any reason, are unhappy with your sex life as a woman, because this is a container for women, if you are unhappy with your sex life, if sex in the bedroom has become a chore, if you find that you are trying to explore your sexuality and figure out your identity, if you and your partner are on different rhythms and that has been frustrating for you, if you have sexual trauma, if you have any sort of limitation that is keeping you from enjoying your full sexual experience. I know for me, leaving high demand religion, in some ways I felt robbed of earlier sexual exploration because I went straight from my parents' home into a husband's home. I was a virgin when I got married. I had so much trauma around sexuality. So if you are one of these people, there is a five-day sexual pleasure workshop where you can get used to Stephanie and her way of teaching. It is very beautiful and sensual, and she is such a gorgeous human. I am so thrilled that I get to work with her. If this sounds at all like something you're interested in, please come to the five-day pleasure workshop. I'm putting that link in the notes. The second thing is if you go to that and you get benefit, please come to the six-week workshop because it will be life-changing. And the cool thing about it is Stephanie is doing three live calls a week. She's going to be really moving you through and helping you explore yourself and root into your own authority with your sexuality and give you tools to really improve your sexuality, not just in that six-week period, but for the rest of your life. And if you have 
a high demand religious background where there were a lot of shame messages about sexuality, I will be there to support you through those and to help you work through those limiting beliefs, the shame and fear messages we have about sex and really open you up and free you. And we have another coach named Chelsea. Her background is in sexual abuse and trauma. And she can help anyone who has a background of sexual abuse that has in any way limited your ability to explore and enjoy your sexuality. I really hope you'll join us, especially if nothing else for that five-day pleasure workshop. Learning to accept pleasure, particularly as a woman, learning to take that into your own hands has been a big part of my self-worth journey. I want that for you. So make sure you check out those links. And we will see you at those workshops. The workshop for the sexual pleasure is happening this upcoming week. So make sure you sign up right now before you forget. And as always, if you want more interaction, more conversation, join us on the Facebook group. Join us on Instagram or on TikTok. I look forward to interacting with you and seeing you at all of these various different places. Thank you for spending your time with me today. And we'll talk soon.